This is episode number 379 with Chris Voss. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome everyone to a special edition of the School of Greatness podcast. Pumped for our guest today. His name is Chris Voss, and he is the founder of the Black Swan Group. He uses his many years of experience in international crisis and high-stakes negotiations to develop a unique program and team that applies these globally proven techniques to the business world. He was the lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI, as well as the FBI's hostage negotiation representative for the National Security Council's hostage working group. He was also a member of the New York City Joint Terrorist Task Force for 14 years, and Chris currently teaches business negotiation in the MBA program at USC and Georgetown. This was fascinating for me. We did a mock high-stakes negotiation, a ransom, kidnapping, and Chris put me through it for a couple of minutes. You get to see how I show up in a negotiation in a high-stakes moment. Then we walk through what I did well, what I didn't do so well, and how you can improve your negotiations in business, but also any area of your life. There are certain words and things to say at certain times, and there are certain things to leave out. Chris covers so much of this. We talk about why you don't have to be aggressive to win an argument. Also, the keys to any negotiation and being successful and getting what you want. How women learn negotiating differently from men. The difference between empathy and sympathy in terms of negotiating and so much more. This applies to so many areas of our lives, guys. Uh, Chris has a new book out called Never Split the Difference, which is powerful and insightful, but he gives so much in this interview as well. Make sure to share this with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 379. Check out the full video interview over on YouTube, uh, YouTube slash Lewis House. Subscribe over there. We're at over 76,000 subscribers. It's been blowing me away, the amount of traction that the YouTube videos are getting. So share these with your friends. It's all about negotiating and getting what you want, but also making sure that the other person feels good about it as well. Without further ado, let me introduce to you the one, the only, Chris Voss. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest. His name is Chris Voss. Thanks for coming on, Chris. My pleasure. It. You got a new book out that is called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depends on It. So make sure you guys check this book out. Really powerful. And Chris, you were uh, the lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI for how many years? Well, I, I'm officially the lead for four years, probably in in reality about seven. Seven years, okay. And you worked on, I think I read, 150 kidnapping or nego- high level negotiation yeah, cases, total right? cases across the board. Yeah, about and 150 balls. And these range from kidnappings or from bank robberies or from what are all the range of. Yeah, you know, um, mostly kidnappings. And one of the crazy things about the job was um, 
uh, bank robbers are real rare. Bank robbers with hostages, all that happens in movies all the time. Uh-huh. Happens in the United States and the whole country about once every 20 years. Okay. And, uh, and I, one of them is a, one of them is a bank robber with hostages. That's, that's like, uh, the first story in the book. So it's, it's rare to have gotten, you know, it sounds stupid to say I was lucky. <laughs> yeah, right, hey, right. I was lucky. I was in a bank <laughs> robber with hostages. How dumb is that? Right, right. But yeah, I caught, I caught one of those and, and it, it was great. So my, my, Experience is a little broader than most hostages sure. negotiators. And you were a police officer in Kansas City before then, right? KCMOPD. There Kansas you go. City, Missouri Police Department. I lived in St. Louis, Missouri for seven years. So All right. were you on the Kansas side of the, of the- KCMO, gotcha. Missouri? Gotcha. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, and then after that, you went right into the FBI or you were? I did. No, uh, uh, went, went from the uh, KCPD direct into the FBI. Actually, there was, there was like a 10 day period that I was not employed by either. And that was a weird <laughs> period of time. Really? <laughs> Ordinary civilian. There you go. Okay. And you were doing uh, investigations while at, uh, Kansas City or were you doing street cop uniform? Rode in a car, rode a uniform. Beat cop in Kansas City. There you go. Okay. Yeah, it was good. What made you want to get into becoming a negotiator in the FBI? Why did you think this would be fun for me or something you wanted to do? Well, I was originally a SWAT guy. And, uh, you know, before I got into law enforcement, I figured to be a SWAT guy. Like, I'm a medium sized guy. Yeah. So I figured, well, I got to do martial arts. And so then in college, and then I, then I ripped my knee up really badly in, in college in martial arts. And that was what we ended up being the turning point in negotiation because then I was on a SWAT team in uh with the FBI when I was in Pittsburgh and was on a SWAT team there and then I tried out for the Bureau's version of the SEALs, which is the hostage rescue team. And when I tried out for the hostage rescue team, HRT, then I re-entered my knee again and then I realized there's only so many times doctors can put it back together. <laughs> it's tough. Humpty Dumpty, how many times yeah, can yeah. the doctors put you back? So after they got the knee put back together the second time, I looked at hostage negotiation. I didn't know what negotiators did. Mm. You know, it sounded both cool and easy. Right. You know, and, and I thought, ah, I could talk to Terrace. I remember literally thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to Terrace. I'll do that. Sure. Okay. And so then, but I, and then I, that, that actually was a big turning point, getting onto the team in the New York City office. Cause originally the woman who ran the team just tried to shoo me away. Cause I had, I had no credentials. I just figured I could do it. I'm, I'm a, I'm from sort of a can do pitch in kind of world. I grew up in a small town in Iowa and it's like, Hey, figure it out, do it, get it done. Move on to the next thing. Where in Iowa? Waverly? <laughs> Waverly. I've been to Waverly. So that's why. I... Yeah. That's a Mecca of Iowa culture probably. Is, is right? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm from Mount Pleasant, Iowa. All right. Yeah. Southeast corner of the state. It is about 35 miles south of the future birthplace of James T. Kirk. Okay. Just for all you Star Trek. There you go. There you go. So what was the first negotiation process like for you at the FBI? What was it? How long have you been at the FBI for? And what was the outcome? Yeah, the first real deal was a bank robbery with hostages in Brooklyn. Your first deal was a bank robbery? My first FBI gig, if you will. Wow. And this happens once every two decades. Uh, bank robberies with hostages are rare, rare wow. events. Okay. Where was the bank? It was in, it was in Brooklyn at 7th and Carroll. It was Chase Manhattan Bank. Uh-huh. And there we were. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, but I was, uh, I was gonna, I was actually scheduled to do a terrorism related interview that morning. And I was, a, I was, uh, not quite a year out of negotiation training and, uh, 
partner of mine, Charlie Baldwin, came in and says, bank ride with hostages in Brooklyn. Let's go. Wow. And you were in Manhattan at this time. Yeah, right? I was in living. Manhattan. Yeah. So uh, Charlie and I, and we were both nursing bad knees at the time. He actually had a bad <laughs> left knee. I had a bad right knee. So you got your wheelchair, your crutches. Just about, just yeah. Hobbling around. We hob hobbled around. And so we, we, we pull up to the uh, bank robbery, and we're too close to the crisis site. And we didn't realize we're like right on top of where the bank is, where the bad guys were. So two 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 guys with bad knees bail out of a car and low crawl basically through the inner perimeter to to where the negotiation team was being set up, and that was that was my first gig. Okay, and now is the team in a van like it is in the movies, where you're like have a van and you got the right. radios no, and if you can't set up someplace, then you get a van. Gotcha. And NYPD had a van, but we didn't need it. We set up in a bank across the street, took over. It was Chemical Bank at the time, and just took over the bank and set up the negotiation room right across the street. And wow. Started rock and roll. It took us two hours from the moment the bank alarm went out to the first contact. It was two hours. Two hours. Is that quick or is that? You know, that's probably standard. Okay. Because it takes everybody a while to get there. Two hours. So they had to wait for two hours to... Until they got any communication. Well, that's what we thought. But the bad guys inside were really tricky, and they and that was that was one of the first things that I began to learn lessons about business negotiation because the the organizer inside was one shrewd guy, hmm. and it's a cliche in a business world that if you're sitting at the table with some guy who wants to make them seem powerless, that's an influential guy. A guy who always said, look, I don't have control over what's going on here. You know, I got a CEO. I got all these people. Anybody that points to negotiators away from the table, the harder they work to make you, themselves seem powerless, the more influential they are because they really? don't want you to corner them at the table. Because they don't have the decision. They can't make the decision. Well, they can. They don't want you to know it. Yeah, right. They're exactly. hiding that. They're acting like they can't make it. Right, right, right. And this guy in that bank. He just kept saying, you know, these other guys that I'm here with, they're so dangerous. I don't know what they're going to do. And he was extremely calm. And at first, we just thought we were dealing with an inadequate personality, mm. somebody who just had no power. But we found out after the fact that he was one of the most controlling guys. And the guys he took to that bank robbery, they didn't even know they were going to rob the bank. They thought they were going to burglarize a cash machine. Wow. He was, he was manipulating everybody. So my first solid dose with that with somebody like that it was like one of the best business lessons I ever learned. Wow. What happened? How long did the process go for? 12 hours, 12 a little hours. over 12 hours in total. How many hostages? There were three hostages inside, two women and a man. They had, uh, they had guns. They had everything, I'm assuming. Bad guys rolled in. This guy thought everything through in advance, and he rolled in with a gun that looked like a three fifty seven. was actually not hmm. because he wanted everybody to think he had a three fifty seven. So the first thing he does when he rolls in the bank is uh, he takes the two female tellers hostage. He hits one of them in the head with the three fifty seven. He sticks the barrel in the other one's mouth and pulls the trigger. Oh, my gosh. And she That's thinks. Like terrifying. Yeah. She's frightened out of her mind. She thinks it, you know, it was just uh, an empty chamber, which is what he wanted her to think. And then and when he when he dropped the hammer on an empty chamber, he said, now open the vault. And they wasted no time getting that vault open. But by then. The police had shown up. We surrounded the bank. And so the vault was out. open. They got cash and bags or whatever. They were getting ready to get out when we surrounded them. Surrounded them. So how did they get out? Well, they, you know, we had them trapped inside. 
And so we went, we went through a really long negotiation. I mean, this guy's thought everything through. I mean, so you're on the phone with him. You get a hold of him. He gets a hold of you. How's that work? We uh, call the bank. The first thing we do is we we try to isolate the phone lines. Right. So, but so we just got in on a, we connected our equipment to a phone and just called in on the bank phone. And this was, uh, and that ended up being the way we communicated the entire time. He picked it up the first time, or yeah, well, because he's smart. He wants he wants to figure. First of all, he, he wants, wants to, to figure out what free. we're doing. <laughs> He wants to get away, and he he also realizes that if he's talking to us, there's a pretty good chance we're not coming in. If he's talking to us, and also if, if he realizes he's got to manage the th- the risk level, you know, he's got to talk to us in really measured tones, and so he knows as long as he's talking to us and sound and reasonable, we're probably not going to break down right. the doors. But if they're sounding crazy, then you're going to come in. Then we're going to come in. Huh? So he sounded reasonable. He was. Right. Like, right. what was the conversation like? Well, he started off right off the bat by telling I was the second negotiator. The first thing he'd done was he had already actually, we didn't know he'd called the precinct before we got there. He called the precinct and said they wanted to surrender, which also then, that, that that's for, on his perspective, he thinks that that means we're going to drop our guard. Mm. And it's very much like a really shrewd negotiator says, look, I want to make a deal. You know, and if you get a negotiator says, you know, let's do a win-win deal. Right. I mean, the sooner win-win comes out of somebody's mouth across the table, More to relaxed. me that's that. Well, that's an automatic mark of somebody's trying to, to. Oh, really? To rip me off. Oh, interesting. Because he's trying to get me to relax. He or she. Sure, sure. You know, if I look at you and say, "Hey, man, hey, you know, let's do a win-win deal here," you need to be putting your hands over your wallet. Really? Because I'm going after it. That's funny. Because I'm always thinking about. You know, I'm trying to come from a place of win-win in all my relationships and business right. deals right now in my life. Right. But I'm honestly not trying to like screw someone out of a, you know, by right. saying that. I'm really like, let's make sure that you win, I win in this business deal or, you know, whatever's happening. But it's right. different maybe when there's someone who's stealing something. And, well, it's, it's context too. But And then if, right, if right. the first thing that you say is like, if you say to me, look, I want to make sure that this is good for you and I, and I want it to be good for me at the same time. Right. You know, you're you're expressing a win-win, but if I sit down, and I was I was saying like, look, Lewis, you know, I need to, let's do a win-win here. I'm telling you, I don't want to pay you anything. Mm. The sooner it comes out of my mouth. Oh, interesting. So, so you should negotiate first before saying that. Is what you're saying? Well, you you start thinking about stuff other than money. What I'm, you know, what I'm really telling you is, I don't want to give you any money. Gotcha. In now, that context. Right. Gotcha. Right, but the sooner somebody starts trying to give you a deal, it's a great move to get the other side to relax. Right, right, right. Okay. So what happened next? Well, um, he called the precinct and said they wanted to surrender. So what he, the deal he wanted to do was, he said, put a van out front. We'll all get in the van and we'll drive to the precinct. <laughs> okay. Right. That's absurd. <laughs> right. Like you'll drive to the precinct. Okay. Right. Like, but that's an escape plan. Right. So, but because it came out, half that information came out, when we actually got to the bank at the beginning, all the top brass that showed up, they figured, you know, they're half paying attention. They figured they, it should be 20 minutes and it's over because that was the information when we first got there that they wanted to surrender. And as stupid as that sounds, a year earlier, a hijacked plane had come into JFK. And in that hijacking, the hijacker said he wanted to surrender as soon as the plane touched down. And that was, in fact, what happened. So there was some precedent in New York for somebody wanting to surrender right away. Mm-hmm. So if you're half paying attention, you're thinking, oh, this is the same as this stupid hijacker a year ago. 
Right. Well, it wasn't the hijacker that came in a year earlier. He wanted he wanted to get into the U.S. to get out of his country, and he figured jail in the U.S. was better than life in his country. And he he just needed a free ride to the U.S. Wow. <laughs> That's why he hijacked a plane. That's funny. He didn't know he was going to spend a life in jail. Wow. But that he and so there was some precedent for it. So all the bosses show up and they're just hanging out outside, shaking hands. They're not paying attention to what's going on. You know, pretty soon they wonder what's taking the negotiators so long. They're looking at their watches. They're like, we've been here an hour. You know, these guys said they want to surrender an hour ago. Why is it out? Well, they were stalling and they were trying to escape. And, and we also found out the guy on the inside was, um, he was burning money in the basement. The bank was under construction. At the bank. Wow. And what he was doing was he stashed a couple of hundred thousand dollars inside the construction and then he burned a pile of money in the bank and he wa- and so he figured I don't have to get away with the money I just got to get away if I had and enough of the money in the walls I'll come back and get it later wow so he was a cagey guy he was a really cagey Smart. guy and at uh, at 8:30 that night right at 12 hours later he walked out of the front of the bank and we put those Golden handcuffs on. <laughs> he couldn't get out, huh? No, we had him. We had him. To, but even even up to the last minute, I saw the because I was inside. I saw the video. When he, he's looking around. He came out real slow, and he was looking left and right the whole time. I mean, right up to the moment that our SWAT guys actually put the hands on him, he was looking for any opportunity Point to escape. Run. Yeah, he, he never lost his poise the whole time. Wow, interesting. So, how did you guys finally get him to surrender or to? to- well, he got when, when I got on the phone with him, I was part of a change of strategy, and I was going to be something wasn't working for a while. Right. Well, we'd slowed it down, and I was going to be the really tough, nice guy. <laughs> right. Like I'm gonna. My job to get on the phone was to be the immovable, nice guy. And the nicer you are, the more immovable you could be. Mm. You know. You know. You know. And uh, forgive me for picking on Mr. Donald Trump right now. Mm. But, you know, the style of being, you can be very aggressive without, or very assertive without being aggressive. And his style is, he wants to yell at people, you know, he wants to intimidate his way in. You don't have to give up that much assertion. You just, you don't want to be that mean. You don't want to be that hard on people. For example, what do you mean? Like how? Well, you know, there's, there's, we're we're in LA. Um, there's a great guy here in town. His name is Tom Girardi. Voted top trial attorney in California several years in a row by the Bar Association. He gets a voted top trial attorney so many times that when they put it on the front page, they say, again. Wow. So he comes in and he's a guest of my class at USC. And he stepped And I know he's a top trial attorney, but I don't know his style. I figure he's going to be an attack dog. Because I spent so much time in New York, you know, I'm used to attack dog attorneys. And Tom walks into the class and he says, you know, the key to negotiations is being nice and gentle. Now, what Tom does by being nice is get you to drop your guard. And Tom is an immovable, unrelenting opponent. And that's why he's so successful, and he's ridiculously nice about it. <laughs> like, he smiles, and he chats with people, and he always talks about how we'll collaborate with each other in the future. He's, you get into an argument with him, and immediately he'll bend it where he's talking with you about how you and I are going to be successful together 10 years from now mm. or in the future, which is the same thing a hostage negotiator does. Like if you're barricading the bank, I'm going to say my first goal is to get you out of there alive. 
well, I picked a point in the future that we can collaborate on. Tom Girardi does this instinctively, and he's just super nice about it. I mean, like, you, either you're going to cooperate with him because you like him so much, he's never going to let up on you, or more than likely you're going to say something accidentally. And, and he gets people saying stuff accidentally and he, and then he can, and then he doesn't jump on you if you say something accidentally. He lets you say so many things accidentally. What do you mean accidentally? Well, like, you know, he loves to get people on, on uncovered emails that they never should have written. Like if you, if you send Tom an email saying, Tom, let's go have lunch together, he will not email you back saying, okay. Because he doesn't put anything in emails because that's the downfall of almost every single lawsuit. Somebody who's done something wrong is going to put it in an email. Wow. And Tom knows if he's nice to the other side long enough, he's going to figure out where those emails are. So, and that's what people do all the time. You know, lawsuits are uncovered. People get into trouble with what they put in an emails. When, wow. When they, when they say, hey, they send a, uh, an email to somebody else, they say, hey, you know, we, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. And a person sends an email back saying, like, yeah, it's okay. Nobody's ever going to find out. Oh, my gosh. In today's day and age, people put stuff in emails. And so Tom knows he's just relentlessly nice, mm. relentless, and the most charming guy you ever met in your life. Wow. So you don't have to be aggressive. To get what you want. To get what you want. Interesting. Okay. I've got a bunch of questions for you that I want to ask about this, but I want to do a role play first if you're cool with it. I'd love to do You say you do this in your class. Do I have to wear a special outfit? No, <laughs> we got to wear we're going to wear uniforms. We're going to wear football exactly, uniforms. Yes. I'll be a referee. Okay, perfect. And you'll be a wide receiver. We can do that. I'll call you for illegal procedure. <laughs> Offsides. There you go. Uh, but you do this in your class, right? Because you teach a yeah, USC yeah, yeah. Role, business role school. And what do the role play usually consist of? What all right. So I, I say, I say, all right. I'm going to ask you to volunteer to role play with me in front of the class. Okay. And. I want you to know, just in case you're worried about role playing with a hostage negotiator in front of everybody, just ease your mind, just so you won't worry. I promise you the experience is going to be horrible. <laughs> Perfect. And you probably get more out of it than anybody else in the classroom. Mm, okay. All right, so here's a role play. You volunteered. You, you yes. agree. I'm a bank robber. You're a hostage negotiator. I'm trapped in a bank. Yes. You and your colleagues have gotten me surrounded. It's your job to talk me out. Just like your first case. Right. Okay. You got, there's only four restrictions. You can't give me transportation. You can't give me weapons. You can't give me drugs or alcohol. And there's no exchange of hostages. You can't offer to come in if I offer to let everybody go. You can't offer to send my mom in if I let everybody go. Nobody comes in. I can't get anyone to come out. People, Obviously. people only come out. Nobody comes. No in. exchange for no. You know, like Eddie Murphy did a movie no where he walked into the bank. Let me talk to you. You can't do that. You can't walk so in. No one the can bank. come in. No one comes only in. Only people can come out. Only people come out. So those those are your only four restrictions. Can something else come in? Sure. If you if you don't break any of those other restrictions, no you alcohol, can't, drugs, no alcohol, no weapons, no drugs, no transportation, no okay. hostage exchange. Okay. We'll do we'll do the negotiation over the phone. All right. When you're when you're ready, say ring, ring, I'll pick up. Ring, ring. I need a car in 60 seconds or she dies. Let me see what I can do on that. Okay. Uh, you got 57 seconds to do something. Well, Chris, we don't have cars that quickly. Tell me you kill her right now. You've got 55 seconds, as a matter of fact. Or are you telling me you're going to give me a car? Let me see what I can do on that and get back to I you. I heard you say that before. 
You've got 50, you've got 45 seconds. Car, yes or no? I need to make sure she's still alive before I can get you a car. She's alive. I need proof. 43 seconds. I need to hear her on the phone. Nope. No, absolutely not. 40 seconds. I want to help you get exactly give what you Give me the car, need. then fine. You telling me you didn't give me a car? I'm going to do my best to get it for you. No, I've heard that before. I, I heard do my best. Are you telling me this is a yes to a car? 35 seconds. I'm going to do my best to get you a car. That sounds so like a no. I, I need you a little more time seconds. than 30 seconds because we can't you're get you. You're telling me you can't give me a car then. You have just said you are going I'm to give me a car. I'm going to get you a car. Just give me a little bit more time. Yes to on the car. You. I'll get you a car. Yes on the car. Okay. You got 25 seconds because that car is everywhere. If you can give me one, you give me one. It's right up front right now. Give us a few more minutes and we'll get you a car as quickly as we can. No, you got 25 seconds. You're going to have to give me a little bit of help here. I don't have to give you anything. You got 20 seconds. We're going to do our best to get you a car. You just said you were going to give me a car. Now you're back. As quickly as we can. You're saying yes on the car. Yes on the car. 15 seconds, I kill it. Okay. Well, we just need to make sure we have a few more minutes to get the car car. for you. Yes. Okay. 10 seconds. Okay. Our men are on it right now. Okay. We'll stop there. Okay. All right. So, (laughs) literally. Everything that you did was wrong. <laughs> no, no, your strategies on the money. Okay. See, and I would only change how you tried to implement the strategy. Okay. But you, um, you trying to feel me out a little bit. Uh huh. You got a great tone of voice. Uh huh. Like I was attacking you like crazy. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting you hard. Yeah. And I actually use one. I use the Donald Trump voice basically. Uh huh. Now you didn't respond. You didn't, you didn't lose your stuff at all. Right. You stayed very calm the whole time. Okay. That's the key. That's not easy to do. No, because I was feeling it inside. I was like, oh, man. That's very impressive that you, your voice didn't come up one iota in that negotiation. And if with that particular voice as a counterpart, it's not at least a bit unusual where we start talking over each other. Right. You didn't talk over me once. Right. Is that a key? Yeah. Not talk over. It's not critical. Not to interrupt or. Secret to gaining the upper hand in a negotiation is giving the other side the illusion of control. Now, I'm coming at you as a very control-oriented negotiator. Right. As soon as you don't struggle with me over control, you actually begin to gain an advantage. Because then you feel like you're in control. Right. You if, don't have to try to gain it anymore. Right, right. I'm more than likely going to start dropping my – if I'm a control-freak guy. If I want to talk all the time, I'm a control-freak guy. Mm-hmm. Control-freak uh, negotiators who want to talk all the time, they feel out of control when they're not talking. So you want to get them to the point where they don't talk, but they don't talk because they're relaxed, not because they're trying to seize control. Right. So you did you, you did a real nice job with that. Now the the only thing, another thing that we teach is, see, you're not going to give me a car, right? And you try to make it sound like you were going to. Yeah. Now I teach how to say no. Uh huh. And and then you want to feel other ways of saying because the real answer to that. Just like at the very beginning of my book, you're supposed to look look at me and say, how am I supposed to do that? Mm, so poise it back to a question. Right. Uh, uh, a how question. An open-ended question. Well, not just open-ended, how. Okay. How is a key to life? Yes is nothing without how. So you know, if I, and, and you could also start talking about how without talking about yes. Mm, so just say what I would how say. Would I, you could say, how would I do that? Would I say I'd love to get you what you need? How would I do that? Just how would I do that? How would I do that? So give them the control to figure out the solution. Right, right, right. How am I supposed to get you the car in that time frame? Mm. Because that's what you're trying to express. There actually is a time problem here. Right. In 60 seconds, how am I supposed to get you a car? Right, right. That That's different than 
we can get a car. We just need 60 more seconds. Right. <laughs> we need more time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Cause, okay. cause now I think, now I think you're ducking me. Okay. But if you instead, you say like, how might, you know, you, of course the cars are out here right away. But first of all, I gotta, I gotta tell everybody what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. I don't need anybody to get surprised. Let's talk through the details of how this is gonna get done. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, what got you here in the first place? Mm. You know, how do, how, do, how do you find yourself into this kind of a situation? How do I make sure I get you out of there a lot? The succession of how questions. How am I supposed to promise to get you a car if I don't know that she's going to come out a lot? Mm. You take what you want and make it the path to what I want. Mm. You know, how am I supposed to get you in here if it doesn't benefit me also. Right. So as as soon as in any negotiation, what I want is now a means of getting what you want, then that changes the dynamic right away. So, so how do you deal in a negotiation with the kind of person who has to win, who has to get everything they want? They're very controlling, alpha. Right. And it's their way or no way. Well, getting everything they want is actually third on their list. First of all, being in control is number one on their list, and that's emotionally satisfying. Mm. The second thing is the alpha type, which is, uh, we refer to that as the, the assertive. The one thing that's more important to them than actually getting what they want is being respected and making sure that you know everything about what they're coming from. So, and it's a classic guy who's working for his boss and said, you know what? My boss didn't do what I wanted him to do, but he heard me out or she heard me out. Mm. I can live with the direction we're going as long as I know that my boss knows my opinion. And so that the assertive type of negotiator, it's really more important to them that they felt, felt that they uh, conducted themselves respectably, that you respected them and that you knew what they were coming from. And once they know those things, they'll actually soften up on what they want. If they feel disrespected, they'll probably be more frustrated and angry and right. demanding. Right, 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 right. So you because when they're very demanding, what they're really saying to you sub- subtly is, I want you to know how important this is to me. Right. I want you to know how important I am. So, so how do you meet that person? Just come to them with respect or with yeah, calm? And, or- you know, you could say, look, you're, you're, you're impressive. You're phenomenal. You thought it's all out. This is very. Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know where you're coming from. You know what you want. Um, I'm lucky to be talking to you at all. Right. I mean, if were I to sit down with, with Donald Trump, I would, in fact, be lucky to be in the same room with him. That'd be the first thing I'd say to him. I'd say, you're, you're an American icon. Right. You know, you, you're the symbol of American business, certainly in New York City. Yeah, you know, stro- stroking her ego is not a bad thing. One of the, one, and it, you know, it's a version of empathy because that, that's how they see themselves. Mm. And you know, the 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 emotional recognition, like emotional currency, is not going to solve every deal. I just don't want to try to solve any deal with money when I could have solved it with emotional currency. I'm saving my money with emotional yeah. empathy, currency, intelligence. Right, right. My money's too important to me to waste it. When I could buy something with satisfaction. Mm. So, yeah, I, like I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm enormously tight with my dollars. And so many people, well, are, especially men in business deals, I feel like there's a lot of alpha men who are trying to get what they want. And so somehow they'll, they'll lose money because they're 
not able to have empathy or they're not able to whatever they're yeah. not able to drop their ego yeah a lot a lot of a lot of money's left on the pay, on the on the table over stuff like that or what they value themselves out like price is the most emotional term in a negotiation because you value yourself based on price but if i can get you to value yourself in another way it put you on a magazine cover I mean, it, stroke the ego in some other way. It used to be you get Donald Trump in any magazine you wanted to if you put him on a cover. You know, imagine the amount of time, and that used to be his deal. If you want to do an article on Donald Trump, the deal was he made the cover. And and then he would knock himself out for the people doing the articles. Oh, yeah. On access. Anything. Answering questions. Yeah. Imagine how valuable his time was. They got a cover to the magazine anyway. They got to put somebody on it. Right. You know, now they're trading something that costs them nothing. Right. And he's giving them dynamic interviews. And he's promoting them hard and he's sharing them with everyone. Yeah, exactly right. framing it everywhere. And yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, you you know, you're buying Donald Trump with emotional recognition. Uh, so what are the characteristics that make a great negotiator in your field? And also how do those translate into the business and relationship world, just in general, outside of? Well, let the other side go first. Um, you know, most people have are so so they're, they're burning with their argument. Here's why you should make this deal, and they've got that memorized, and and they're not going to listen to a word you say till they get it out. So trying to talk to them is really like trying to talk to a paranoid schizophrenic, because right. they're rehearsing their speech in their head and their logic, and so they they just you just can't get through to them. So you let them go. You let them go first, and. Um, uh, another guy, Ned Coletti, uh, former GM of the Dodgers, friend of mine here in town, phenomenal negotiator. He's ne lectured at, uh, in my class at USC also. You know, and Ned always likes to let the other side go first. You know, he, he did the Barry Bonds deal. He's done a ton of deals across the board. And Ned says, well, you know, in a two hour phone call, there's going to be 90 seconds of solid gold where my, the person I'm talking to, based on changes that they made in their tone of voice and the adjectives that they used. I mean, he's got an instinct for it. He couldn't, he couldn't identify. He just already said it's 90 seconds of solid gold. And I'd say, what is that? Right. And we, we talk it through and he says, well, yeah, it's going to be a change in the tone of voice. It's going to be a different kind of adjective. So Ned wants you to go first because he wants to know what it's going to take to make the deal. What they want. Right. Yeah. What, what they, what they're burning them. for or how they characterize what they have. Or what they're not saying, too, maybe. Exactly right. What someone has failed to say is often a lot more important than what they have said, which is why I give it a little if, thought in advance. All right, what, they're gonna, what are they going to say if, they, if they've if they got this? So I, I actually like to look for more of what they haven't said, what's glaringly missing. And that's going to take – I'm going to need you to walk through it a couple of times before that jumps out of me. Mm, okay. Okay. Um. Who are the most difficult people to work with then? Would you say it's the alpha people or would you say it's the uncertain people or what type of people are hard to work in negotiation with? You know, you're talking about a little bit of a tight match and that, that has, a, has a tendency. It's a little bit based on how bad I want to make the deal. Like I don't like liars mm. or I don't like the most difficult people to work with in the long run are people who haven't thought anything through which is as bad as a liar, only their heart's not in the wrong place. They don't know what they want right. specifically. Or they don't know how, how they're going to, they don't know how they're going to get this done, which is, again, we go over and over again. I go over and over again. Yes, there's nothing without how. 
Like, and the person who thinks like, yes, is going to make a deal. Well, yes, is not going to make a deal because you got to have how. Mm. How are we going to put this together? And someone that doesn't think things through a lot of times, they're actually kind of dysfunctional on their own side. So they'll make promises they can't keep, and they have no idea they can't keep those promises. And so when they take your deal, you think you've done a deal with them, they take it back to their company, and their company goes like, no, we're not doing this. This is a stupid idea. We can't do this. And that happens a lot. I think in, in a private sector, I've heard from a number of companies that fully 50% of the deals that they make that don't go through get killed internally because somebody cut a deal for them and they took it back to the company. And the company says, no, that, that violates our terms and conditions. We can't deliver on that basis. So you're dealing with someone who just has no, uh, doesn't have a clue as to what's going on on their side. There are a lot of people like that. When you're making a business deal, what do you recommend as the amount of time to consider the deal before saying, yes, let's do it. Like, um, here's the deal points. Here's what you want. Here's what I want. Okay, should we sign it right away? Should we give it 24 hours? Should we take it to our team? Should it be a week? You know, what's that kind of a standard, you think? Um, and, unless you've got something in line a, a ahead of time. Um, the company name is the Black Swan Group because we believe there's black swans in every negotiation, which is something you didn't know that as soon as you found out, it's going to change all the parameters. The deal. Gotcha. So you sit at, down at the table to find out the unknowns. Huh. And you, it's impossible to research all the unknowns. Plus a lot of the unknowns, I'll find them a lot faster if I just ask you. And I could research for two weeks something that I may be able to get you to tell me about in 10 minutes. For example, what do you mean something you'd want to ask? Um, I'm do, I'm, uh, speaking to a long, for a long time client and they have another firm that I've been affiliated with coming doing a different block when i found out they were doing that block i could suddenly reach back through my network to find out what the, the competing slash partnership firm of mine is mm. what they're charging or i could just flat out ask them well i need to get the information a lot of information you got to get by not asking you got to trigger it the, you know the, the phrase ask good questions it's really get good information and a lot of times you won't tell me stuff if I ask. But if I act like I already know or if I, there are other ways, hostage negotiators trigger information without asking questions. And hostage negotiators get that information and make you feel good about giving it at the same time. So give me an example either in a hostage or a business deal what that kind of trigger could be. Well, it's going to be it's going to be some sort of a statement. I might say, look, I'm, I'm sure my, my competing company is charging twice as much as I am. Oh, and then they'll tell you the answer. They want to correct me. Oh, actually, no, it's the right. same, or actually, you're getting a better deal. Never underestimate the other huh. side's desire to correct you. Wow. Because it makes people feel powerful and smart. You know, you're going to want to feel smarter than me. One of, one of my clients is negotiating a deal for a commercial office building in South Carolina, and it's uh, it's almost 100% occupancy. It's in a mixed-use uh, historic area, so it means the, the building can't be knocked down and nobody can build it because it's a historic area. And so the building's basically impossible to replace, and it's 100% occupancy. It makes no sense to sell the building. So they're genuinely thinking, why is a seller selling? First of all, you can't ask why because why makes people defensive. If I look at you and I say, why did you wear a black shirt? Your instant thought is going to be like, do I got to defend the black shirt? Why I'm doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you need to find out why, but you can't ask why because it makes people defensive. Huh, so what would you ask there? 
Well, then again, you don't want to ask at all because if you're smarter, you change your why, why's to what's. And it's more likely they'll respond if you say, you know, what's making the seller want to sell? So, you know, what is causing them to do that? Mm-hmm. Not why are they selling? But instead, what my student did was he said, well, seems to me the seller's selling a cash cow because of a disbelief in the market fundamentals and the future of the, of the building. Now, let me correct you. This is why I'm doing it. Exactly. Huh. And the other side went like, no, 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 they, they got they got a couple buildings that are underwater. Now, I don't, I can't imagine a real estate agent answering that question ever. I mean, this is, this is highly confidential. All right. Proprietary information. You know, my seller is desperate for money is, is what the, what the answer was. But because it was a correction and people love to correct, they'll correct you without thinking it through. It's an involuntary response, a desire to sound smarter than you and to be right and correct you, which is a burning desire in most people because it makes me feel smart and more powerful. And I'll seize every opportunity to feel smarter and more powerful you at the table. Gosh, it's like a chess. Uh, it's emotional chess. <laughs> emotional chess. I love this. It's emotional chess. And how do women and men compare as negotiators, as counter as counterparts either against each other or woman-man, woman-woman, man-man? Is there a difference? See, I think a powerful woman negotiator, a woman who's really good at negotiations, is almost unstoppable. Wow. Um, and I think that the reinforcement, the societal reinforcement is constantly trying to pound men into being better negotiators and constantly trying to pound women away from it. And I think that, I think that, um, the step from sympathy to empathy is a shorter step. And women are socialized to be sympathetic. And I don't think that, uh, you know, whether or not it's nature or nurture, I know there's a lot more pressure societally and culturally, culturally for women to be like that. And I, in my class, women pick my style of negotiation up faster than the men do. And the women go to my class, start cutting bigger and better deals faster than the men do. In business or in life or in just? In both. Gotcha. Wow. So in, in, in my view, I like, think that. Like after they graduate, they go on to do. Well, in the class. Okay. You got, you got to negotiate with skin in the game in my class. And almost all of my students are rising star business executives. So, um, mock negotiations they're making more is what you're saying. No, in real life, man. Real life. You got to take, take my stuff life. and put it in real life while you're in my class and you got to write about it. Wow. And, uh, one, you know, I've got everything from a billion dollar Wall Street transaction. People in my class use the tools for. I get a, a USC, get a lot of commercial real estate state transactions. Wow. A lot of people buying commercial real estate that are, that are working on MBAs. I've gotten a lot of those transactions. Got, uh, you know, my favorite, my favorite way to say no, which I got, you know, the how question before. Uh huh. The favorite way to say no is how am I supposed to do that? Just real calm deference. There's great power in deference. You know, that's, and that's what I did in kidnappings, bank robberies, everything. How, how am I supposed to do that? And what if they say, I don't care, figure it out, or she's dead? Well, then you know that you've pushed them as far as you can. And that means you got to pivot to something else. Now, the, and, and that's actually where you want to get to. Because mm-hmm. it, Strategy of negotiation is find out you want to max every term if you can. And the only way to max that is to find out that I've hit you to the full limit without making you angry enough that you slam your hands down and walk away. Because mm-hmm. even your reaction or just you now, someone. or you shoot someone, your reaction just now is like, look, you got to do it or things are going to go bad. And it was uh, one of my, one of my uh, students here in town is negotiating for, uh, 
for a luxury client to rent a house in Hollywood Hills. And, you know, 20 grand a month was a rental. Mm. And they were uh, trying to get the rental or they were trying to lease? Trying to get it. Gotcha. And so. The person said it's 20 grand a month. Right. And, and, and it's from a very well, his client's extremely wealthy. So, that, you know, and you're negotiating a wealthy market. The other side always thinks you got all the money in the world. And so the, uh, he just said, how, how am I supposed to do that? And they said, okay, well, and they shifted the terms and he cut the price and he moved a bunch of other terms around. Then they negotiated for a while longer. And then he said, again, on the price, he says, how my client, how's my client supposed to pay that? And the realtor says, if your client wants a house, he's got to pay it. Bang, you got a deal. When the other side says, if you want it, you have to do it, mm-hmm. which will come at, usually after the second, third time that you said, how am I supposed to do that? So you knock it down a little more on a car, a real estate deal, whatever it is. Now, now you've maxed that term. Now you move on to something else or you make the deal. But you needed to know that you pushed them as far as you could have mm-hmm. without them storming out or without them saying, Chris Voss is not any fun to deal with. I would never do business with him again. They, how am I supposed to do that in a deferential way? Right. They still feel in control. You're not, you're not saying, screw you, that's too much. Like, what are you out of your mind? You know? Right. And if you don't make the deal at that point, then what they say after the fact, they say, you know, uh, I didn't make a deal, but I deal with them again. You know, they're, they're, they're all right. They're all right to, uh, to deal with. Did they get the lease? Did how much did they get? Yeah, they got it. How much, you know? Uh, they, they knocked it down to less than 20 and then they got some softness on some other terms. Gotcha. And, and then they, then they cut the deal for the house. There you go. And I wish I was paying 20 grand a month for a house. <laughs> That's a lot of money for a house. 20 grand a month. Wow. That's a rich, rich student. Yeah. Well, <laughs> USC, they get, you know, oh, people true. that are involved in a lot of lucrative deals. Yeah. Yeah. So. You're saying, what is the importance of empathy in a negotiation? What I'm hearing you say is it's extremely important. And that's why you feel like a woman would be a better negotiator in general, because they have more empathy in general? Or Well, it's the shortest. Most people have confused sympathy with empathy. Okay, what's the difference? Um, empathy is, I can see you're upset. It's just identifying how you feel. Uh, sympathy is like, wow, I feel bad for you. Mm. Uh, feeling sorry or bad for someone is sympathy. Sympathy. It's, it's, it is, in fact, it doesn't help anybody. Like, I don't care if you feel bad for me. Right. <laughs> I could care less. So sympathy is not a good thing? Sympathy is a weakness. As a negotiator. As a negotiation. Empathy is a good thing? Empathy uh, and tactical empathy. Because we've really taken a past just empathy in general. Like, we've been doing this long enough that I know what I'm looking for before we sit down. I know that. I need to find out the stuff that are negative emotions for you because I need to get them out of the way of the deal. And I need to find out the stuff that are positive emotions for you because I want to reinforce that to make the deal. And I know that the negatives are going to have, be a bigger deal to you than the positives are. So can you give me an example of this in a business deal? What that would... Well, if I, don't, if, I don't, if I don't like doing business with Donald Trump at all, then if, he get, if he's annoyed me to the point where I get enough satisfaction keeping money out of his hands, I won't make that deal. Mm. Or if I'm in a business deal where, where the other side, and, and I've thought about this, like you annoy me so much. <laughs> that I don't want you to get anything. That I'll take less money to keep you out. Right. So and, how would you eliminate something like that, that negative in the deal so that you could? Well, then then say like, I, I, if I think that you're negative towards me, I'm going to say, look, I'm, I'm sure it seems like I'm greedy here. If I say to you like, I'm sure I'm going to seem very greedy here. 
that sets me up to ask for a lot of money. Mm. Because there's actually um, science that backs this up now. Identifying a negative diminishes it every time. So if I'm going to make a big grab for the money, you're going to think I'm greedy. And I need to get that out of the way because if I'm too greedy, you're going you're gonna to get some satisfaction by keeping me from the money, even if you don't get any. And so I'm going to say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seem real greedy here. I'm going to seem like I'm very self-centered and that I'm greedy and that I'm not looking out for you at all. And I'll just let it sit. And you'll take a lot more from me, a lot, a lot. You'll, you'll allow me to take more if I've said that in advance. Up front, really. Yeah. Because I've, I've diminished that. Your, your thought is like, I mean, how, I, I can never seem too greedy then. When I make that grab, you're going to say, well, he was honest with me. He told me he wanted a lot of money. He didn't try to say, hey, look, let's do a win-win deal. Now, give me all the money. Because if I say I want to do a win-win deal with you, I'm like, hey, I'll be nice to you. I'll look out for you. And then when you try I make to take 90 grab, and give me 10, it's like, right. no, it's not a good deal. Yeah. But when you say it up front, then you're more likely to get the deal. Yeah. And get more of whatever you want. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seem very honest to you. I'm gonna, you, you're you're going to like that I was honest with you. <laughs> and you're going to say after the fact, like, look. He was honest. I always knew where he was coming from. I didn't like the deal, but I did it anyways or whatever. Yeah. Huh. Okay. It's, yeah, that's crazy. It's That's just the stuff that we found out that works regularly. We had to uh, talk about another one we talk about in the book. Uh, there was a multi-million dollar deal going down in Washington, D.C. The subcontractor was very unhappy with the general contractor. And a female negotiator. And they were getting ready to lose everything. And they sat down and they said, you know, I'm sure we seem like the big guy that doesn't care about you. I'm sure we seem like the big general contractors trying to take complete advantage of the sub and not appreciate how hard you're working for this and not care about your future at all. And she turned that deal around. And when she was done, she took an additional million in profit for herself and her company. And the other side liked them more. So not only did they increase the profit, but they had a better relationship. This is why being honest up front or empathetic or I can see how you might feel that we're going to do this. It's a tactical approach. Wow. There are negatives here. We're going to address the negatives. Up front. And we're going to make them go away. Yeah, address them up front. Most people don't want to do that. I already did that. Do you know when I did that to you? I've already done it. Remember when we talked about doing the one-on-one role play? Yeah. I said it was going to be horrible. Oh, that's true. You said it up front, yeah. And I always, I always do that every single time the same way. Because if you do the role play with me, no matter how it goes, I, you know, you're gonna feel like you were beat, beaten up. Right. But at least you told me I was gonna be. Right. And you can't come out. If I say it's gonna be horrible, you know, you can't ever say, well, he sandbagged me. You know, he caught me off guard. And then, then what I always do, then I, I diffuse the negative, and then I pitch the positive. And most people pitch the positive and hope the negative will go away. They sandwich the negative. Positive, yeah, this, negative, positive. The same. I don't like sandwich at all. Start with the negative. Start with the negative. And I said, and you will learn more than anyone else. So how do you do that in a business deal where you start with, okay, I'm sure you think we're horrible or we're trying to get more than we should or. Well, you know, walking to the table, you can make a really educated guess on what the other side is going to think of you. If you're a big, big business dealing with a small business, if you're David and Goliath, you know that before you get to the table. Flip side around, if you're new to the industry. And you're trying to work your way into the industry. How do you look to somebody who's been in the industry? You look like an intruder. You know, I'm sure I look like an intruder. I'm sure I look wet behind the ears. I'm sure I look like I don't have any experience in this area. 
Because if I'm new to the industry and I'm talking to somebody who's been in the industry for a while, what I want is money you've got. I want a piece of your pie. It's a nice big pie here, and I want to take a big bite out of it if I'm new to the industry. And so, uh, and, and you, it doesn't take a genius to talk it through and go like, yeah, somebody who's new to the industry is trying to hammer their way in. They got no respect for people who've already been there. And I'll say that, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure I look like an intruder here. So how do you, what, how do you frame the positive afterwards then? You go, I, I look like an intruder, but. And, and, and then I'll say, and there's money to be made here that wasn't there otherwise. Cause if I'm new to the industry, especially if I'm bringing a deal in, I'm bringing you found money. Mm. The worst thing I could do is say, hey, look, I got some found money for you. Right. Let me bring this to you. Sure. You're going to be like, you ain't bringing me nothing. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. I could pay my bills before you walked in the door. I didn't right. need you to pay my bills. So, but I want to make that point. So I'll, I got somewhere I'm going. I'm going to say, you know, I'm sure I'm look like an intruder. I'm unappreciative. I'm wet behind the ears. You've been here for a thousand years. I, you know, I don't know anything. Mm. So always lead with the negative or the elephant. Identify in room. the elephant in the room. That's exactly right. Doesn't have to be negative, good, but the, the, the elephant in the room, identify it. That elephant always gets smaller. Every time you call the elephant in the room out again, and there's a subtle difference too. I never deny it. Like if I, if I, there's a difference between me saying, I'm sure I seem like an intruder, which is good. And if I say to you, I don't want you to think I'm an intruder. That's a denial. That's going to be what I am gonna, an intruder. Yeah. In your mind. Yeah. I'm coming into this new. I'm coming to this. Yeah. Denial magnifies negatives. The mm. subtle difference between denial and observation. Mm. And if I say, look, man, I don't, I don't want you to think I'm an intruder here. I don't, I don't want you to think I'm way behind the ears and that I don't know what I'm doing. Immediately, you're thinking that because right. I denied it. Mm. And that's why, and that subtle difference is night and day in negotiations. That subtle difference makes all of it. I had, I'm doing, uh, when I'm working on my book deal, I don't know if my agent will listen to this or not, but I use this <laughs> oh, really? with my agent one time because I'm a bad client if somebody's negotiating on my behalf because at some point in time, I'm going to jump in with no warning. Of course. And not like, listen to you. This is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can only sit back for so long. And so I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm jumping in the middle of this price negotiation with a potential writer. With the, oh, with the writer. Okay. You know, be, before I came across Tall, Tall is a superstar. Yes. He is the best business book writer on the planet. He's great. And and so before I came across Tall, we're working with us, trying to get something going with another guy. And I jumped in in the middle of it with no warning without telling my agent. So I, I did it in an email, and then I constructed an email to my agent at the same time. Now, if somebody's supposed to be keeping their mouth shut in a negotiation, the name you might call them might be a loose cannon. Okay. Somebody who pipes up when they're supposed to shut up. Sure. And they don't check on with anybody else, loose cannon. So I sent, I craft an email to my agent at the same time. And I, and at first I wrote it wrong the first time. I'll admit I, I said, I don't want you to think I'm a loose cannon. And then I went back and edited it. And I said, I'm sure I seem like a loose case. So he couldn't deny it. Right. You weren't denying it. You were. But this is a predictable negative. Sure. I seem like a loose. And I said, I'm sure I seem like a loose candidate. Sent him the email. As soon as he read it, he sent me back. I No, I don't. I always respect a bold move. So I, I call the negative out. And it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. And just call it out. Identify the elephant in the room. Don't deny it. If I had to say, no, that, there ain't no elephant in the room. 
Rabbi. Yes, there is. <laughs> sure. And and he has responded immediately. Were you part of negotiating the with the publisher as well? Um, did you let him do the job? No, he. Uh, you know what you need an agent for is really understand terms and conditions. Yeah. And uh, and a great source of intel. And so when when the deal came through, plus I don't try to get every last dollar, and I don't try to get every last percentage. You want it to be a win win. Well, I want I want you to want to continue to do business with me in the future. And yes. if I cut your throat, you're not going to want to continue to do business with yeah. me. Or if they don't make out what they thought they wanted to, then right, yeah, right. So yeah, in, in fact, even though I don't use the words win win, yeah, why not? Uh, because uh, just because I I first of all it's it's shorthand for whip win. Hmm. Or so only 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 two people really actually will throw that out of negotiation. Someone who needs to be a stronger negotiator, or it's a thousand, it's almost a thousand percent now. You know, if somebody says win win to me early on, I know they're communicating to me they're going to try to make this deal without giving me any money. Really, I just don't think that way when I say it, though. But maybe that's well, most you, people. Yeah, and you're cl- you're naturally collaborative guy. Yes, and you got a lot of you got a lot of non tangibles to throw on the table to make it a great deal. Right. And uh, a lot of people that haven't thought up those non tangibles or non monetary stuff to make it a great deal. Right. They just know that they got no money. Right. And if you approach the table and you got no money, how are you going to make that deal? A lot of people think, well, I got to let's make it win win. Right. <laughs> and I'm so wonderful to deal with. Right, right. That you'll just be famous if you deal with me. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, how, what do you? Say instead of that, I want to make this good for you and good for me. Well, I'll start. I start. I start throwing up stuff that really that's really good for me. That's not not going to cost you a dime. I'm going to brainstorm with you like crazy as much as I can, and then I'll get you brainstorming. And I was I'm in a discussion today to possibly go to a conference in Chicago, and I already know in advance they got like nothing for fees. Right. So you're like because well, yeah. So and so and we start brainstorming. And the young lady I'm on the phone with, she says, well, is there anybody that might come to the conference that you would want to meet? And I, and my thought was, I don't know who's at the conference, but I, I do know, I think a really, uh, uh, a profession that wants to get better at negotiation is not afraid to admit it are baseball scouts. I'm on the phone with, or I'm on a plane with a baseball scout just yesterday. And he's saying like, look, as a scout, I'm out signing prospects on these million dollar deals. Mm. We could have a several hundred thousand dollars swing in a given deal. I'm not a negotiator. I'm a scout. So uh, it, it occurs to me that these scouts are out there trying to find talent, and then they they have never had time to become better negotiators except by find, finding out the hard way. You can learn my stuff really fast. I gave this guy a copy of my book. I said, you know what? Read the first ten pages. If you can't use it, then you, you know you don't ever have to talk to me again. Mm-hmm. In the first 10 pages, you learn some stuff you can use right away. So I'm on the phone with this girl for this conference today, and I go like, all right, look, I think I could I could really help out professional baseball organizations to their scouts, maybe not their GMs who are doing the $100 million deals, but put me in a room with the guys that are doing the million-dollar deals. Mm-hmm. And I said, so if you know anybody for the Cubs or the White Sox, just give me an introduction and we'll we'll talk about it. That'd be worth me going to this conference for nothing if I get right. if I get a good introduction to something that'll lead me to business. Yeah, and she's like, I, she says, I, you know, I'll check into that because she's right there, yeah. and they're, they're running a big conference, and and it's it's very much good for Chicago and it's good for business people. And 
most professional sports franchises come to know that what's good for the community is good for them. So then, and it becomes, in effect, win-win. Right. You just don't use those terms. Gotcha. Gotcha. I like it, though. Um, how do you become the smartest person in the room? You know, uh, look for emotions first. Emotions? Yeah. You know what? If I figure out what's driving you, like if I tell what you're passionate about, and you're passionate about getting better, mm-hmm. and you're passionate about helping other people, mm-hmm. and you're passionate about healthy competition, mm-hmm. and, and you are fueled by a great feeling of achievement and comp- competition at the same time, and you're more likely to do stuff and engage in activities that fuel both of those things at the same time. And the openly competitive people are either openly competitive because competition makes them feel good or um, it's a defensive thing. And you need to know the difference between somebody who attacks you because they're being defensive and they're afraid they're going to get hurt and they're very fear-driven and a person that's attacking you because they're just very competitive. And a very competitive type just likes competition, makes a great ally. Whereas a person who's uh, attacking you out of fear, they're not good long-term allies because they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna feel at some point in time they gotta screw you before you screw them. And so understanding the distinctions in those drivers, those two people look almost exactly the same. I had a, a phenomenal social relationship with a woman who was in real estate here in town three or four years ago. And she was, she was very, she was fear of loss, overwhelmingly fear of loss driven. In relationships and business and everything. Right. Mm -hmm. She was always, she was always just horrified that she was getting cheated. And, and she didn't have great, she didn't have great business partnerships. Um, she was very successful, but not a lot of great partners. Mm. And that's a, it's a slight change. You know, there's a two millimeter change there. Between the competitive because they like competition or the, or the aggressive assaulted because they're afraid of getting cheated. And I need to know that, those differences because it's going to tell me what kind of a partner you're going to be. How do you know those differences? Just by being aware, listening? and Yeah, you know, you, you uh, the emotional intelligence comes to you really fast once you start looking for it. Right. Uh, that's why that some people uh, are really good at cold reads. Uh, one of the classes I'm teaching at Georgetown right now. There's a, a, a really brilliant young lady who's Afghani and she loves a cold read. Uh, you know, starting to make educated guesses about somebody real quick. And she's talking to a cab driver the other day and a cab driver turns around and looks at her and says, did my wife send you? <laughs> Cause she guessed, she guessed the guy's daughter's name. She guessed a lot of things that were accurate about his daughter and his wife just based on a quick interaction. Wow. And for her, it was a game, which is another thing. Sure. If it becomes fun for you, you pick it up faster. Right. So you can get really good at this as soon as you start trying to look. And it, it it's amazing. It'll also go away quickly, too. Yeah. you got to watch it's it. Muscle. Yeah. yeah. Atrophy. Exactly right. you you got you got to train on it. Wow. What's a word you never say in a negotiation or the worst thing to say? Um, Business deals or personal relationships or... Uh, uh, depends upon what's coming out, uh, whose mouth it's coming out of. Like, do you ever say no or do you ever say? You, you know, I might need to say no. I, I'll probably, I like to let no out a little at a time, which is actually how am I supposed to do that is the first way that I say no. That's no, without saying no. Right. That's, that's saying no to what's on the table, but not no to you. 
Let's figure if we can work this out. There may come a point in time when I when I say no, said and done. Um, but I, I'm going to need to explore every option there. I mean, I don't saying uh, hearing yes is a bad thing to hear. So don't say yes. Yeah, yes in and of itself. I I would much rather say you know okay I'll do it. I'd I'd lo- I love to say you win because when you win you're going to perform. Hmm. Yes is nothing without how. I need you to perform at a top level. You perform at a higher level when you feel like you win. If I, if I hear, if you look at me and we make a deal and you say, okay, well, that's a resigned okay. And we're going to run into trouble when we go to implement. Cause the, the minute anything bad could happen by you, by your inaction, you know, there's a phrase, never be mean to someone who could hurt you by doing nothing, which nearly everybody can hurt you by doing nothing. Right. Um, so saying, okay, I'll do it. Right. Or yes, you win. Or you win. Right. Right. I, I, I want you to feel like you won. You win. So you got the better end of the deal. Yeah. Cause are, are you, are you going to hold to the deal if you got the best end of the deal? Well, of course. You're love it. You can brag yeah. about awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. I got the better end. Huh. Right. So you win. Okay. I'll do it. You win. We can do both of them together. Um, if I say it, that's good. Cause you won. If you say it, it's bad to me because you feel beat. Mm. I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel beaten. Right, right, right. Which is one of the real big problems with negotiation because since, since I've been getting, helping people get better at it, like, uh, I get more stories. A guy says, let me tell you about this deal. I had them over a barrel. There was nowhere for them to go. You know, for all intents and purposes, I took them hostage. Well, I, I guarantee you that the person they beat was as passive aggressive as possible on the implementation of that deal. Mm, they didn't feel and they good about it. they left money on the table. They didn't feel good about it. Right. Huh. Right. So always make the other person feel like they got the better end of the deal. Right? Right. They won. And Yeah, they won. And it, it was their idea. It was their idea. I like your idea. I'll do it. Something like that. Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's really good. And so that's why the one, usually the one word answers of yes and no. Those are also frequently misunderstood. Too. Mm. You know, there's three kinds of yeses. There's commitment, confirmation, counterfeit. And most people are used to getting lured into a trap with yes. You know, would you like to make more money? Isn't it true this is the off season? You know, whatever setup yes there is. <laughs> would you like, okay. Yeah. Um, you know what's leading someplace. Yes. One of my, uh, one of my students is on a honeymoon and he's, want to get um, uh, an upgrade on his bungalow and it's the off season in this in this resort now what they typically do is they cut prices on on their basic rooms but, but they don't the cut suites. but not the honeymoon right. suites and he but he knows they're all vacant now what he he doesn't want to cut price on a regular room he wants a honeymoon suite and he starts out the conversation with like you know isn't it true this is the off season that general manager knows there's a trap there. What's you know, he say? And, and so the guy starts going sideways on him immediately. Oh, really? He didn't say yes. Right. He didn't want to say yes because he knows that yes is commitment and yes is probably a trap. And he, he knows, I don't know where you're going with this, but you're going someplace. That's what he said? Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened? Well, and, and so then uh, my student realized that, you know, he fell into this, this yes trap thing. So he had to kind of he had to kind of get back out of it. And they started talking, and instead of trying to get yeses and noes on him, he started describing the situation. 
it started showing them a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm sure, you know, a lot of guys on like me come in, we want a room. We don't want to pay anything for it. You get so many tourists that are in here in the off season and they're cheap. That's why they're here in the off season anyway, because they're cheap to start with and they don't want to pay anything for, for anything anyway. And now the, the managers appreciate where guys come from. Uh, he ends up leading getting, with the negative. Right. He ends up, he ends up getting the upgrade. Really? Yeah. Free. Cause he built a relationship and yeah, the guy, the guy, the guy's got an empty room. Yeah. Never be meeting somebody who could hurt you by doing nothing. Not giving you the, the empty room is doing nothing. You know, you want this guy to give you a favor and he doesn't own the hotel. And those rooms are normally vacant anyway. So his owner, whoever owns a hotel, they're not mad at him because those rooms are empty. They expected them to be empty. Yeah. So he's got options. You know, ultimately, you want to make the pitch like, you know, you give me that upgrade. I'm going to be a fan for life. I'm going to tell everybody how well I was treated. I'm going to tell all my friends about this. Something I've done for like the last 10 years, a friend of mine told me this line that he's like, you know, if you ever want an upgrade, if you ever want like something better in the deal, use this line. And I swear I've been using it. Maybe it's been wrong, but I'd love your opinion. All right. I say, what's the chance you can help me with this? All right. So that's a, that's a what question to start what's with. What's the chance? Two things about that that yeah. I like. Um, first of all, it's a what question. Yeah. And secondly, um, what's the chance you can upgrade me? You're, uh, elevating the person when you ask it for help. So you're giving them power, right? Right. The opportunity to have power. Right. Yeah. So there's, and, and I don't know that I'd change that sentence at all. I might say in advance, like, look, this is really going to seem greedy of me. Mm. You know, cause you can't, you can't leave me with the negative. Leading, leading with the negative. Wow. If you, if you try to call out a negative that's not there, you won't plant it. If you try to deny a negative that's not there, you plant that baby. And that's why you have to know the difference between a denial and a straight observation. And those, that's a subtle difference because you're go, you're probably going to want to say before you ask a guy for a discount, you're probably going to say this guy's going to think I'm cheap and I'm greedy. I don't want him to think that. Mm-hmm. So if you mention it all, you get instinct to say, "Look, like, I don't want I want I want you I don't want you to think I'm cheap and greedy here." That's a denial that plants mm-hmm. it. So uh, I bet you might think that I'm being a little greedy. I'm sure it's I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's going to greedy. I'm coming. I'm, I'm yeah. being greedy, but what's the chance you can help? You can upgrade me. Yeah. Yeah. You can support me in getting up. And, and so if you're not, if asking for an upgrade as a human being, the guy's going, no, that's not gritty. You want them, you want them thinking no. You want them saying no. Mm. No is a great answer because when somebody says no, they def- have just protected and defended themselves. Like it's ridiculous. You will be stunned at what people are willing to say no to. <laughs> I mean, just absolutely stunned. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching a guy <laughs> who's, Working on a new position with the city of Beverly Hills. And they, they're constructing, since it's a new position, he sees his job description that he wants to take, but it's problematic the way they put it together. Yeah. And he says, how do I negotiate with these guys? Cause this job description is not going to make it work. And I said, look at, look at, look at him across the table and say, do you want me to fail? And their answer is no. And I said, well, look at how this is set up. Uh, you know, I'd love to have this job, but he's, instead of saying, he wants to sit down with him and say, Hey, look, this is never going to work the way you guys designed this. Right. You can't say that. Though. You can't say that. Cause so, they're coming from defense mode or something. Or, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Now their egos in a way where you say, oh. because when you say you, do you want me to fail? I mean, that, that's, that's, that no, gives them again to, to help you. Yeah. They say no, they protect themselves. 
you then come to the other guy's rescue. I mean, you're, you're punching a lot of really powerful emotional triggers there when you say to somebody, you want me to fail. Hmm. And, and one way or the other, I mean, we try to sit down and think of the most ridiculous question that they would never say yes to. Like if, if, if at the end of a negotiation, uh, if I can't, if my, one of my last things I'm always going to say is like, if you can't budge at all, I'll say, all right, well, look, uh, it seems like you're powerless here. Oh, because nobody hurts. wants to say yes to oh. that. <laughs> wow. Seems like there's nothing you could do. Seems like wow. you're completely powerless here. And they'll put you on hold. They'll find a way to help. You. <laughs> so it seems like you're powerless. You can't help me. It sounds like you're powerless here. Right. Nobody ever wants to say yes to that. Wow. Yeah. That is powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you use that a lot when you're We're at the end of any deal or anything or something? You at know? the end of any deal, if we haven't come to an agreement that that I'm happy with, that'll be the last thing. I'll say, it seems like there's nothing I could say. And it seems like you're powerless. seems like nothing that you could say to them to right. get what you need. Right. Or for them to move right. deal points. And it seems like you're powerless. Right. They're powerless. Right. Holy cow. That's, yeah. that's powerful insight. So, yeah, we, we a lot of people have cut deals by, they thought it was completely in the tank. and They're actually just trying to end positively. It's really, it's critical to end positively. Mm. So give me one little extra thing then if, you know, they want to end positively, not like, yeah, I'm powerless here, so let's do the deal. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll throw in this or I'll give you this. Or... Yeah. Like I make it I make it a regular port. Uh, like my credit cards, almost all of them got fees. Mm-hmm. And I call every year and ask them to waive the fee. Yeah. And and they almost always do until the guy says, well, we waived the fee on you the last five years in a row. <laughs> It sounds like you're powerless here. And I'll say, yeah, I'll say that. I'll say, it sounds like you're absolutely powerless here. It sounds like you're nothing, nothing you could do. And they'll put me on hold. And let me see what I could do. Anything, <laughs> they'll come back and do it because like nobody that. wants to be powerless. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, let's finish with the final few questions. Make sure you guys get the book here. This is fascinating. Never split the difference. Negotiating. As if your life depended on it. Some powerful insights in this interview so far. And I know you have a framework for negotiating in the book. Um, final few questions. What are you most grateful for in your life recently? Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful that my son still is in business with me. That yeah. my son can tolerate me. <laughs> uh, I've run across nearly everyone that I've run across since I've been in LA. I'm just happy in one way or another that, they, that, that they've come into my life. Mm. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, I'm grateful to be, I know it's gonna sound like a cliche. I'm grateful to be sitting here right now. I think, I think this, when I started finding out about you and all the cool stuff that you've done. I appreciate it. And how much positive, positivity and, and help you're bringing people. I mean, I think that, I think that's incredible. Yeah, you, you I appreciate it. People who listen to your podcast are getting phenomenal value out of it. Yeah. I appreciate it. See how he's ending on a positive. See how good this is. <laughs> <laughs> and I meant it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. There's a, there's a question we, we ask at the end called the three truths. And this is if it's the last day for you many, many years from now, your books have been erased. All your techniques have been deleted from time, the information you put out to the world is gone for whatever reason. Right. And um, you have a piece of paper and your great-great-grandchildren comes up to you and says, will you write down the three things you know to be true about everything you've learned in business, relationships, school, FBI, everything in life you've learned, coming down to three simple truths that you would pass on to us 
That's all the things we know to live our lives by. What would be those three truths? Yeah, be generous. It'll it'll come back to you much more than you could ever imagine. Um, uh, yeah, work work hard. Be generous. Work hard. Be honest. I mean, uh, any 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 of the opposites of those are just damaging shortcuts. Just really damaging shortcuts. Um, you could so yeah, just be generous. Work hard. Be honest. I like it. Simple and effective. I like those. Thanks. Um, make sure you guys get this book, Never Split the Difference. Where can we connect with you online? Uh, BlackSwanLTD.com. B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D, like limited.com. We are not ballerinas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be the, the, the blacks. Opposite. Yeah, we, yeah. But we're, you know, we're very agile. We like to have a lot of balance. Sure, yeah, yeah. Ballerinas are actually great that. athletes. So They are. And you're at Voss Negotiation on Twitter? Yes. Are you on the Instagram and the Facebook as well? Uh, Black Swan LTD on Facebook. Uh, I haven't plugged into Instagram yet. I, I would imagine uh, we will soon, as okay. soon as I drag myself into the 21st century. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and, again, it's a former FBI top hostage negotiator's field-tested tools for talking anyone into or out of just about anything. So this is extremely important in terms of personal relationships, family relationships, intimate relationships, friendships, business relationships, any type of relationships, this is going to support you. I think it's a must read and understand if you want to have peace in your life because negotiation is a constant thing that we go through all the time, especially when you have kids, all these different things. You're always going to be negotiating something. Right. You might as well be good at it. Yeah, you might as well enjoy it at the same you time. You might as well right? enjoy it and have fun with it. So yeah. um, before I ask the final question, Chris, I want to acknowledge you for a moment for your incredible skill set that you've developed over the years from all of the cases you've dealt with and, and served on a, a huge impact to Thank make you. sure that people get away safely and Thanks. people don't kill anyone and all these things that you've done as uh, your work at the FBI. And also for your service in helping so many of us entrepreneurs and become better entrepreneurs through teaching at USC and uh, Georgetown. 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 And for coming on here and sharing a wealth of information. I feel like I'm pretty good at negotiating, but I feel like I don't know anything after doing this. So I appreciate your wisdom. Thanks. All the years of your hard work and for bringing this to life because so many people need this. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I'm honored to do it. I really am. Yeah. Final question is, what's your definition of greatness? Wow. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, s- someone that w- had had it was, was both true to themselves and had an impact on their world. Because um, I think people basically really are good. You know, I, I don't think that we're by definition evil creatures. So if you were if you were true to your your nature, then the impact that you have on the world is what the universe put you here for. And so then you would, if you're true to your nature, then like you should be, you're phenomenal. Yes, boss. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. My pleasure. And there you have it. Thank you guys so much for being here and make sure to let me know what you thought. What did you learn from this interview? Share with me in the comments section at the show notes, lewishouse.com slash three, seven, nine. 
post this on your social media. Put it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and let people know about how they can become a better negotiator in the business world and any part of their lives. This was super fun for me. I loved being interrogated and uh, going through the exercise. Make sure to grab a copy of Chris's book. Also, we've got all the information back at the show notes. LewisHouse.com slash 379 so you can follow Chris, learn more about him, get the book, all that good stuff. I appreciate you guys very much. If this is your first time here, then welcome. We do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and we bring you the most inspiring people in the world to help you unlock your inner greatness and bring your gifts to the world. So thank you for being here. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, over on Stitcher or SoundCloud, and Leave a review. Let me know what you think. Leave a review over on iTunes. We've got over 1,000, I think 1,100 five-star reviews now. So thank you for your continued support. We couldn't do this without you. We couldn't get the incredible guests without this movement of inspiring people around the world who are asking for these bigger names to come on. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great.